0: And welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber. Dr. Geber has a PhD in organizational behavior and counseling, a master's in psychology, and a certificate in retirement coaching. But what I think you'll be most interested in is her book. She wrote a book called Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers. And this book in 2018 was selected as one of the best books on aging well by the Wall Street Journal. She has made raising the awareness of the special challenges that solo agers face her personal crusade. I'm excited to have her today, and I think you'll find her insights on aging for anyone very relevant. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Diane. Happy to be here. Yeah, really excited to have you be here. You know, I got interested in this topic of solo aging when I heard some statistics about the number of people who are aging Without having close family members. And it was kind of stunning. And I think those numbers are only going up. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Sure. Um, About 10 years
1: ago, I was doing retirement coaching, and it became clear to me from the people I was talking to, and most especially from my friends, that they were spending a tremendous amount of time with their aging parents. Um, My friend Sandy, for instance, and I were having a glass of wine at a little little wine bar in Palo Alto one, one day. And I said, you know, I haven't seen much of you this year. What have you been doing? She said, oh my God, I've spent my life on an airplane going back and forth to the East Coast to make sure that my mother, who's now 87, was well taken care of. And I had to get her moved into senior living accommodation and I had to get her house sold and I had to manage all of that. And on top of that, even in senior living, I still have to be the one to make sure that she's um, got clothing that she needs, that she's arranged transportation to doctor's appointments. And all of those things from 3,000 miles away just weren't working very well. So she's now happily in senior living and I can relax a little bit. And I said, Sandy, you and I don't have kids. Who's going to do that for us? So that was really the beginning of my journey on finding out what the answer to that question is. And it became the question that really launched the book and launched my investigation into what are people doing and what can we plan to do if we don't have children to be kind of a safety net for us
0: toward the end of life? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I love that you say right up at the beginning is really we're all solo agers. So even if you have a partner, one of you will die first. Even if you have children, they may live really far away. And so there are these possibilities of how to kind of grapple with this better than, you know, than we do if we don't want to look at it.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, and I've
0: come to realize
1: that People who don't have children are not the only solo agers out there because our society is very mobile. Most people's kids don't live right in the same town with them and aren't raising their grandkids right there. Sometimes people move to be near their kids and uh, hopefully that works out and the kids don't pick up and move again, which is always the the hazard. But yeah, there's so many solo agers out there and they come in a lot of different flavors and colors and
0: yeah. One of the things you talk about really early in the book also is you you list these six things that are key, and then you go on to really um, spend time on each chapter about what those are. And you say, here's the six important elements to a fulfilling life. Number one, financial security. Number two, commitment to good health and physical well-being. Number three, self-awareness. Number four, adaptability and flexibility. Number five, a strong social network. And number six, religion, spirituality, or some sense of a belief system larger than yourself. And mm-hmm. I love that you say you used to include fun on the list, but then you realized <laughs> if those six were taken care of, the fun would take care of itself. So, yeah. Um, which You know, tell us a little bit about whichever of those six areas kinds of t- kind of jumps out at you today. Well, I think the social network
1: has over time in my observation and in the research that I that I read, studies that are being done with people on isolation and loneliness, um, especially in the last two years that we've been experiencing the pandemic, isolation and loneliness are really the enemy, yeah. and solo wagers in some respects are much more susceptible to that because they don't have the, the family backup that just for most people, it doesn't go away no matter no matter what you do. Their family right. is even usually the distance, there for you.
0: Even the distance, people figure it out, right? Yeah, they figure it out.
1: They do figure it out, just like my friend Sandy flying back and forth and living on an airplane for a year. So um, social building that and maintaining that social network, I think, is one of the most critical things for people. Now, everything on that list is important and not just my opinion. It's all research-based. And it's, you know, it's partly, it's how I see people making sense of their lives as they get older, but clearly those are things that matter or or should matter to everyone.
0: Right. Right. And, And you talk about how they kind of weave together and why they're so important. But one of the things I found most powerful about your book um, is, is that not only does it say, hey, here's what's important and here's the research behind it and here's why it's important and here's anecdotes about it. Then you go on to offer very specific worksheets, um, charts, kind of ways to actually think it through for yourself. And I think that's just brilliant. How did you come up with that? Well, <laughs> I have to
1: talk a little bit about my prior career. Before I got really interested in the, the uh, aid the whole world of aging, gerontology specifically. Uh, I started in retirement coaching because that ended up being an offshoot of what I had been doing in for 20 years prior, I was in leadership development. I did a lot of coaching. I did a lot of training and in the coaching, I noticed that the clients that were around my age, in other words, baby boomers, were starting to talk more about their retirement plans than their business plans. So I thought, hmm, you know, something's in the wind here.
0: Right. So I, Wait a I minute. Started... There's a lot of people talking about this. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I started getting very interested in that. Um, and the worksheets were it was actually quite easy for me to do because in my life as a as a corporate trainer, I had to develop a lot of worksheets and that was, you know, how people sort of figured it out for themselves. It's how people learn is to put themselves in that situation, ask themselves the hard questions and start to formulate the answers. Just like when you do an advanced directive and a power of attorney, if you sit down and do a whole estate plan your attorney is likely to give you worksheets. And by the same token, these are the same, these are the same kinds of worksheets
0: that help you kind of understand yourself. Right, right. And I love like the example of the, um, with the social one, one of the things you do is you kind of say, okay, so who are your friends? Write them down. Like, like, who's the inner circle? Who's the next circle? What age are those people? And how can you rely on them? Or can you rely on them? And it's, um, it's so you call it a re- relationship evaluation worksheet. And um, mm-hmm. that really is a starting place for people to kind of assess, like, how have I cultivated this network? I've, I've heard it said that, that isolation is the new smoking. Like, it's yeah. that bad for your health.
1: Yeah, they've equated it to 15 cigarettes a day.
0: Isn't that incredible? Wow. Yeah. And, and I think it's one thing to sort of say, hey, I know I need to do that. And it's another thing to actually go out and do it. And the <laughs> pandemic has, of course, made that harder.
1: Yes. And I've, I've found over the 10 years that I've been doing this,
0: I have found that it's especially hard for people who are quite introverted. Makes sense. I think one of your anecdotes talks about someone who moved around a lot as a kid. Um, and as a result, they knew how to make friends. And so as a result, they took that into their aging. But other people, it's, it's a little harder to reach out and to figure out how to make those connections. It is. It is. And I, I think I, I in the book,
1: I give a lot of examples of ways that you can do that. But it's especially hard for people after they leave their primary career. Yes. And again, most people, most baby boomers' primary career involved going to an an office or a workplace somewhere most of the day. And our social connections oftentimes turned out to be the people we work with. Those are the people that we had the... the well, we saw them the most. We, we saw them the most, had connections, Associated with them, went to happy hour on Friday evening. And so it, it, they became really solid friendships. And many people have carried some of those into their retirement life. But more often than not, people find that those, those work relationships kind of, kind of peter out and sort of die a natural death. And then you're relying more on, number one, family. But for those people that don't have family, it's time to start joining some groups, right? (laughs) It's time to get active in your church or synagogue. And there are plenty of of affinity groups there. Um, If that is unappealing, then look into what's going on in your community. Uh, All the senior centers have very active uh, groups that you can belong to, book clubs. Um, People meet often at the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, going to the same Pilates class or or using the the same yoga instructor. So there's all kinds of ways that that people meet and, and start to build friendships. The neighborhood is a wonderful place to do that. And one of the things that I think people can do to start to make friends, it's so simple, is if you have a dog and you walk that dog, you know, you meet all kinds of people. I have one very good friend whose whole social network revolves around the people that
0: she knows from the dog park. So, you know, there's a lot of ways of going about this. Right. Because in some ways you talk about these don't have to be your best, best friends. They're just people to interact with as much as anything else. And so interacting around a common interest is is Mm -hmm. really the most common. You've got, yeah, you've got this great list in the book. You talk about look around who lives in your neighborhood. What are you interested? There are so many ways to pursue interests. Even online groups can make a huge Mm difference. In terms of a, a steady thing, a class or a or an interest group that you get together and discuss. Um, yeah. Talk about what do you care about? And then how do you get involved in that? Take up a sport you enjoy. Go back to school. Is there something you've always wanted to do? And I think throughout the book, you, you really talk about, and don't wait till you're 89. Like this is about <laughs> starting when you're 50, 55, 60. How are you cultivating these interests and cultivating new friendships? Yeah. There? Um, but it's never too late to start. And it's never too late to start. Yeah. Yeah. The so other and one I think is really interesting that you go into is you talk about um, both the design of a place you live and the location of the place you live and how important those are, because so many people say they want to age in place. Have <laughs> they set up a realistic ability to age in place is a real yeah. question.
1: Yeah,
0: that's an important
1: question to ask.
0: Um
1: a friend of mine just wrote a book called Right Time, Right Place. That's an excellent, it's by Ryan Frederick. And it's an excellent way to really begin to evaluate where you live or where you might want to live. And he talks, as I do in, in my book, um, pretty extensively about all the options that are out there for where you might live. Ryan goes even into more detail on that. So it's a, it's a great companion book fantastic yeah because that's such a that's such a big component mm-hmm. yeah I spend probably somewhere between a third and and well probably between a quarter and a third of the book talking about how important place is how important where you age is to your well-being uh, from are, a physical some, and an emotional standpoint yeah, what are some reasons for that well that where we live, turns out to be the most important component in how we build our social network and the availability of a social network. So I'm certainly not saying that that everybody needs to be in some kind of congregate living. On the other hand, isolation and loneliness can creep in as we get older and have to give up driving, have to give up, sometimes people just simply aren't mobile at all. Um, if you are if you are confined to your home and there's nobody else around you, right to, right. to give
0: you that kind of social support that we all need, um, that's a problem. Yeah, so kind of the location and but but really the accessibility for you yeah. to other people and for other people to you. Yeah, it's interesting. When my in-laws moved to where I live at one point, my mother-in-law, after my father-in-law died, she lived maybe mm, 35 minutes from us. Mm -hmm. And then eventually she moved to about 10 minutes from us. And it was so interesting to me how that little bit of difference of time made a difference in terms of how often we saw each other and how simple it was to swing by with some soup versus, oh, I'm going to actually have to plan an hour plus spending time there Gee, now it's a three-hour visit, which I don't have time for, right? So that's, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting when you think about these things. What's the right distance and what's the accessibility?
1: Yeah, it is important. It's very important. Again, especially as people become less mobile. And most of us do become less mobile as we get into our 80s and 90s. And, and you can, you know, I'm sure everybody out there knows how many people are living into their hundreds.
0: Yeah, so, you, you have some really wonderful quotes about what this is going to take. There has never been a time in history with more options for older adults. Think of your life as unfolding in stages. And you talk so beautifully right. about that, what that is like, but the ability to choose a good location and find people to support you at this, these later stages is so mm-hmm. critical and I I just love your message that um, you say to people you know prepare, prepare verbally by having conversations with people, prepare legally get all your documents in order, prepare financially whatever that means for you, and prepare mentally for a time when you may need help to manage your life. Do you do you find that most people want to face this topic? No, I find that they don't. I I uh,
1: I often half kiddingly say to people like you, Diane, people who want to interview me or find out more about my thoughts on the matter. I say, I, sometimes it feels like my whole job is getting people to just take their head out of the sand. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And admit right. that they're going to age just like the parents did, just like many people around them are doing. They're going to age too. Even baby boomers
0: age. Right. right. And I find people, people kind of say, Uh, You know, they kind of, they want to hope for the best, but not make a plan. (laughs) I always say, you know, hope is not a plan. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and aging in place is not a plan. Say more about that. Well, I, you know, um, it's been popularized, I think, mostly by AARP. And rightfully so, because a lot of people do not have the, the funds to think about moving into an expensive senior living, uh, congregate living facility. And they, they may just, have a they house can't that's entertain paid that.
0: off. Yeah, they may have a house that's paid off or an apartment they're very comfortable with, with low rent. Like something does make sense about it. Something makes sense about it financially. But that's sometimes all it makes sense
1: about. It doesn't make sense physically. It doesn't make sense emotionally, especially for solo agers. But there are options out there other than congregate living or traditional congregate living. There there is home sharing. There is um, co-housing. There are tiny homes. There are a number of ways that you can spend the rest of your life living around people. I've become a huge fan of mobile home parks. Yeah. Especially for people who live uh, obviously in areas where they can exist without the danger of being blown away or, you know, and of course the Southwest is just rife with mobile home parks, beautiful ones. And what I like about that, and I actually learned this from people who came to some of my talks and they would raise their hands afterwards and say, I just want to make a comment that I live in a mobile home park. And we have a community already. We don't have to build community. We have potlucks and we go to movies together and we support each other and we see each other every day. We walk our pets around around the park. We, we, a day doesn't go by where we don't kind of see each other, at least hang out with each other. We and know check if we like didn't see somebody for a day or two. In. Yeah, simple neighbor to yeah.
0: neighbor.
1: To yeah. check in. It's such a simple solution. And could be a good solution for a lot of people, because if you, um, you can obviously rent mobile homes as well as own them. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're searching around for something that makes sense, and you live in an area with mobile home
0: parks. Um, Don't overlook that opportunity. Interesting. It strikes me as a similar, you know, I think sometimes new mothers are very isolated. And Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. mothers that live with a tight community, sometimes because of financial necessity. So they live in a tighter community. They do babysitting co-ops. They're often less isolated than a more upper middle class mom who might feel that Mm -hmm. she has to do it all herself and doesn't have that kind of social fabric woven in. So I think it's right. kind of a similar potentially isolating time in our lives.
1: Yes, except <laughs> aging is forever, at least until the end, and new motherhood ends that's when a- your child <laughs> goes to preschool and you meet other preschool moms. And that's right. so it's, it's, a, it's a terminal condition, yeah, whereas yeah. isolation is a perpetual condition and
0: only gets worse. Yeah. Interesting. So you would advocate for finding a place to live that that essentially promotes social socialization, so that socialization doesn't become some kind of extra task on top of right living. You just automatically. I like that. Have
1: it. Yeah, I like that, Diane. That's a good way of putting it. Now there. If you are someone who lives in a condominium complex or an apartment and you know a lot of your neighbors and you see them and you know if they didn't see you for 24 or 48 hours, they'd know something was wrong, um, then that's a step in the right direction. It doesn't mean you're it doesn't it's not the end all and be all, because those people who see you and know you in your condo complex may not be the people that you would choose to be around A lot more than once a day. Hello at the mailbox. Right. So but it's better than rattling around in a suburban home on a cul-de-sac somewhere where everybody comes and goes in and out of their garage. Right. You have to make a big point of seeing a neighbor. Right. Um, It's just not that if that's your idea of aging in place. I think it's a bad idea.
0: Great. I love that. I love that. I think your 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 book and your whole um attitude is really about proactive. You know, it's really mm-hmm. about how to make the most of things knowing that there's this inevitable physical challenge of decline both physically mm-hmm. and mentally for many of us. Um you you open the book by talking about I love these two phrases. You talk about how You know, these are bonus years. Really, if you live beyond 60, this is incredible. You've outlived so much of humanity historically. And another way of looking at these bonus years is life without a script. So (laughs) up until this time, we've kind of had um, like a a thing that we understood to be doing, learning years, working years, and maybe parenting years, maybe not parenting years. But now you move into life without a script. And so you say quite directly in the book, how do you take charge of your own script and not wait for things to happen to you, but really proactively make choices that are good
1: yeah. for what
0: your situation is, which varies widely. Yeah, I, that's putting it very succinctly and well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for your time. Um, I really have appreciated all that you brought through your book and through your website you can find out more about Sarah's work at her website, lifeoncore.com, or by Googling her, Sarah, S A R A Z E F F, Geber, G E B E R.com. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And I hope people take a look at this Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers book. There's so much good information in it, solo or with far flung children. Yeah. Thank you, Diane. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. Have a wonderful day.
1: Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks again for joining me on the best life, best death podcast. You can find out more about my guest, Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber on her website of her same name, sarahzeffgeber.com or lifeoncore.com. That's L-I-F-E-E-N-C-O-R-E. Sarah's book is Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers, A Retirement and Aging Roadmap for Single and Childless Adults. Thanks so much for listening. Best life, best death.